Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. Preaching isn't entertaining. You know, sometimes with a homily, you get the impression that the liturgy stops, and then you have the homily, and then the liturgy begins again. But the homily is a part of the liturgy. And it should sound as if it's part of the liturgy, you know, so you shouldn't suddenly be going into high mode when you, you know, here we are, chaps, you know, get on with it and, and start preaching in a different sort of key. It should have a resonance with what has gone before it, the readings, and what is coming after it, the Eucharist. So you have the word that has been given to and we listen to it. And then we speak the word which makes Christ present in the Eucharist. So you should have that balance. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from American Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo de Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at American Media, and an associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York City. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we have the distinguished honor of welcoming Cardinal Arthur Roach. Cardinal Roach is the Prefect of the Dicastery for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments. Before moving to take up his mission as secretary to the then Congregation for Divine Worship, Cardinal Roach had served as the Bishop of Leeds in his native England from 2004 to 2012. He is also a former chairman of the International Commission on English and the Liturgy, or ISIL as it's better known, a body that oversees the translation of liturgical texts from Latin into English. Cardinal Roach, it is an honor. Welcome to Preach. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Cardinal Roach, I always ask preachers to say something very personal about who they are. Tell me something surprising about yourself that perhaps our listeners wouldn't know. Well, I'm an Englishman <laughs> and a very proud Yorkshireman from the north of England. I've been a priest now for 48 years and a bishop for 22, going on 23, in fact and been here for 12 years, so gives you a sort of taste of my lifespan as a priest and a minister. I was, of course, an active priest before I became a bishop, which was a very important part of my life, because the only thing I ever wanted to be was a parish priest. Mm, that's wonderful. I listened to a short reporting about you where, you know, you were telling the story when you found out that you had been made a cardinal. Uh, I think it was to Vatican News. Oh, yes. 
<laughs> Why don't you tell us that? I thought there was a very humorous sort of way of finding out that you'd become a cardinal. The Holy Father announced this after the Angelus on a Sunday morning in St. Peter's Square. And I normally watch the Angelus, but I, in fact, I had a bit of a disaster beforehand because I was trying to put something into the oven to cook it, make it ready for lunchtime, and the fuses blew. So I had to go down right into the cellars of where I live, which meant going down the lift by four floors and then seeking out where this secret contraption was that, that I had to restart. And when I came back, my mobile phone and the house phone were ringing like bilio. So I picked it up and someone said to me, you know, congratulations, oh, great news. So I said, yeah, the electricity's back on. <laughs> they said, no, you've been made a cardinal. It's been announced that you've been made a cardinal. It's a circuit breaker in a different sense as well. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, well put. Yeah. So, Cardinal Roach, you're preaching for us on Ash Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, you're beginning the season of Lent for us on Preach. Won't you set up for us the liturgy of the word on Ash Wednesday? What are the readings that we're going to hear? Okay. Uh, how will these feature in your homily? Well, we have three readings, as we do, for example, on a Sunday and on solemnities throughout the year. And our first reading is from the book of the prophet Joel. And it's a very short piece. In fact, Joel only writes two chapters in all. And he's really addressing a disaster in Israel because the land has been infested by locusts. And locusts, of course, as you know, eat everything, every blade of grass, every leaf on a tree, and so on. So it was a wipeout of all their food. And Joel was preaching to the people of his day and telling them, okay, but don't forget, God will provide for you. So that's the background to that first reading. Then our second reading is taken from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. And in that letter, he is encouraging the early Christian communities, and indeed us also, to remember that we're ambassadors for Christ, that the way we live, the things we do and say and so on, they all reflect what sort of people we think we are and what people we really are trying to become. And our third reading from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 6, is Jesus talking to his disciples about their spiritual journey, the things that they really need to have in place in order to have a healthy contact with God and a healthy regard for the people with whom they're living. Wonderful. You're going to be preaching this homily to a congregation on Ash Wednesday. Yes. Won't you tell us a little about the congregation so that we have a congregation in mind as we hear your homily? Yes, it will be the 8 o'clock Mass in St. Peter's Basilica here in Rome. And at that Mass will be all the workers of the Vatican City. There'll be between three to 400 people, those who work in the supermarkets and the various secretariats who sweep up the roads, who do the gardening, who mend the fences and replace the tiles on the roofs and so on. So that's the congregation that I'll be talking to. Obviously, I'll be preaching to them in Italian, but this is an English translation of what will happen that day. This is an exclusive premiere of the English <laughs> version yes. of the homily on Ash Wednesday. It's the only English version that will be heard on that day. 
Cardinal, I'm excited to hear what you have prepared for our listeners. And I'll see you on the other side for a longer conversation about your homily. We look forward to that. We will now hear Cardinal Arthur Roach's homily for Ash Wednesday, especially recorded for Preach. In our readings today, we hear the voice of a father full of tenderness, full of emotion, saying to his child, come back to me with all your heart. We can imagine the scene from the memories of our own childhood, from the memories of our homes, the places where we were safe, where we were loved, where we were a little pampered. It's the voice that resonates in our hearts. Come, come back home where you belong. Come back to me. Here, you are my child. Here in my arms, you are safe. There's nothing to worry about. This is the characteristic invitation and light motif of the whole season of Lent. Return home to the place where you belong and don't be afraid. Return to me from your heart without fear, without anguish. Here you will be safe. The voice of the Father calling us also proposes a simple question during Lent. Where do I belong? Which way am I turned? In what direction do I find myself facing? Or what road am I walking on? What is it that I am choosing in life? Is it a road that leads to greater peace in my heart, or one that leads to more dissatisfaction? Does it free me from what I find burdensome, from what is dark and sometimes what is shameful? These are important questions, no? They help us address what is really important in our life, the direction in which I have chosen to walk, the values by which I want to live by. Of course, I may have chosen a good road on which to travel in life, but I can often be distracted along that road and lose my way. My attitude towards God, my way of relating to others, may develop other paths on which I begin to walk, detours that complicate my journey and sometimes derail me completely, instead of leading me back to the safety of my Father's embrace. I may be slow to walk, hesitant to make the turn that brings me back. I may not even trust the call that beckons come back home. I may even be afraid to return home, wondering if my place is really there. In truth, what are the lights that guide me along my life's path, which make me a better person? Well, Jesus points to three guiding lights on his path of life in today's gospel. Lights that help us navigate away from the traps of selfishness towards the path of greater freedom. The first light is prayer, which purifies our souls and helps us to know the depths of God's love for us. It helps us to know where we belong because it establishes a truly 
personal relationship with God, a father who has a tender heart, who is patient and encouraging, but also has the strength that we often need to make our journey. Then there is fasting, self-denial, which of course no one wants to do, but which is not only good for our bodies, but also prevents us from being greedy in our habits and in our attitudes. Fasting helps us to start thinking differently, weighing up the true value of things. Then the third light is almsgiving, which is always good for others and helps us not to forget that there is always someone who is in greater need than I am. There is always someone we can help in their life's journey. It helps us realize too that what we receive in our lives through good fortune is not just for ourselves. When we give of what we have, we begin to really touch the flesh of Christ in the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the marginalized, the imprisoned, the sick, the unemployed, those who are persecuted, those seeking refuge, those seeking some warmth in their life, the closeness of someone who cares, the acceptance by another, even a simple welcoming smile. This sharing is a gift from God intended for other people. Lent gives us this time to ask and examine what is the direction in which I'm facing? Where am I going? Towards God or towards myself? Towards where I belong or towards a foreign or alien place? We all need to look carefully at the path we have chosen to take. And why is it important to answer these questions in Lent? Well, because at Easter, when we hear the Father's tender voice in the voice of his own beloved Son Jesus in the liturgy of the Church, we need to be able to answer by sincerely saying yes to those questions. Do you really believe in God? Do you really believe in God's love, even for you? Do you believe that you are called to bring this love to others also? Do you believe that his resurrection overcomes every difficulty, even death? Do you really believe that the true path of life is the one that leads to a life beyond this world? With great tenderness, the Father's voice in Lent calls us home, where each of us belongs. No one is excluded. The saint and the sinner, the great and the small, the wavering and the one who is secure. None of us is worthy, but that is where we belong. We respond to the Father's call by turning towards his love, the home where we belong, the place where we will really flourish. Dear friends, we are called to make this journey together. We are being invited in these days to expand to the size of Christ rather than to shrink to the size of ourselves. Let us make this journey towards life 
and liberty, supporting one another, praying for one another, and at Easter, celebrating together the joy of a renewed life, of a new life in Christ. That was Cardinal Arthur Roach for Preach. After the break, Cardinal Roach shares why Lent is about much more than what we're giving up for 40 days. Welcome back to Preach. Cardinal, you have such a gentle reassuring tone. I think that's really what strikes me in your delivery. It's very measured. And as you began your homily and you spoke about welcome home, it seems such a wonderful theme that encapsulates really what our faith is about, but not something that I always think about on Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is often associated with greater penance and sort of penitential season. I think people think about it in a heavier way. Why do you choose to start on this note, welcome home? Well, because I think really that's what Lent is all about. Perhaps in the past, people have thought of it as being a pretty heavy season. We have to give up things and we have to do things. And But it's really more, it's having to look at things more carefully and particularly look at me personally and see where I'm going. What am I doing? Am I becoming more of a Christian on my journey through life? Am I becoming more of a witness, more of an ambassador, as St. Paul says in the second reading on this day? Or am I just somebody who's drifting along and taking things really for granted and not really looking quite seriously at the things I say, the things I do, the things I think? Are they turning me towards eternal life? Are they turning me towards Christ? Are they turning me towards others? for love of Christ. You know, at the beginning of your response, you said it's about more than giving up, right? And so I wonder if we can talk a little bit about that. Lent is so often seen as, what are you giving up for Lent? Or what are you taking up for Lent, as some people might say? But why is it more than that? What do you think, other than this essence of welcome home, this essence of assessing one's life, as you've put it in such poignant questions, Well, it is true. I mean, Jesus himself does emphasize the need for fasting, and he also emphasizes the need for giving of what you've got to others. So there is a sharp edge to this. But what is that sharp edge about? It's really an examination. I always remember when I was, all my studies have been done within the context of Jesuit schooling and Jesuit universities. You had the Pontifical Gregorian. Pontifical Gregorian, but also the before that, uh, long ago when I was a student in Spain, the Camillus University from oh, Madrid. Yes. So I remember being taught that the examination of, of conscience is really an examination of consciousness. Not how conscious are you of your sins, what you've done wrong during the day, but more positively, How conscious have you been today of meeting Christ, of being aware of the presence of God in your life? And turning that round actually does help you 
to grow a little more rather than to hide or go into the shadows and think, oh, Lord, it's been another one of those days. No, it's more how conscious are you of meeting God on the street, at home, with your wife, with your, your child who's troublesome, with your fellow workmate who is always difficult? You know, how conscious are you of Christ being in that situation of being with you as well as in them. And so I think the positive aspect of this is really quite important. Fasting. You know, I had a friend who's a pretty huge man, and he asked the doctor for some help. And the doctor said to him, well, really, you know, you do need help to deal with this problem of obesity. And I would advise that, and I give you a list of places where you can go, where you can go to a health farm for a month in order to resolve this situation. And he said, you know, I went and after the first three days, I was climbing up the wall because they were starving me. But he said, I began then to realize that as they took away what I had been used to in taking whenever I wanted, as I wanted it, when I wanted it, I began to start seeing things differently. It wasn't that I was only losing weight. I was actually beginning to think about things differently. I was beginning to see things that I hadn't seen before. And it's clearly what the monastic fasts, which go from the 14th of September right through until Easter Sunday, which is normally in March or April, those long fasts, and you realize that there's something else in the fast as well as dealing with physical problems. Similarly with the almsgiving now, because I had a wonderful experience just after Christmas. I do a little bit of work with those who are living on the streets here in Rome try to help them as best I can sometimes, do a bit of interpretation for them, but also help them, you know, practically. And just after Christmas, one of my friends, Michele, he rang me. It's very unusual for him to ring, but he rang me and he said, oh, can you help me? I, I've been robbed. So I went round. I said to him, what's happened? He said, well, a youngster held me up yesterday and took all my money. So I said, how much did they take? He said, well, I had 150 euros. And he said, that's all I have. So I said, okay, where are you? And I went to see him to make good what had been taken from him, at least. And when I got there, he said, oh, no, Father, he said, it's okay. He said, Juanito has helped me. Oh? He said, yeah. He said, when, when he heard what had happened, he heard me speaking to you, and he said, look, I've got 300 euros. I give you 150. And it struck me very forcibly that, you know, the ones who have nothing but know what it is to have nothing are the ones who give very freely, without hesitation, and they're free. They're free. You know, every moment of the day is a moment of freedom, and they accept things with immense gratitude. You know, how often have I seen 
somebody give a present to somebody and they've looked at it and put it down, not really saying thank you and clearly saying, well, it's not of any use to me. You know, that itself, of course, expresses the abundance of things that we all have that we don't need. But it's a story that is a cautionary tale that those who have nothing know what it is to have nothing. But when they have, they share. Cardinal, those are very moving stories. And as a homiletic technique, you know, we often hear stories and the exposition of a story in a homily. You haven't chosen that with this particular homily that you've given us. I wonder if you might talk a little about that. You know, there are times where perhaps we touch into the more personal. And maybe there are times where, as we've seen in your homily, you've peppered it with many questions, right? Many just sort of eye questions that would tease out much of what you've just told us now. But instead, you've used these questions very effectively. And you, you say, these are important questions. And you repeat that over and over. Sure. Well, our Lord himself used parables. They were stories. And they're often very useful to illustrate in a very strong way, the message of, of Christ, and also to customize it, to contextualize it. When I was ordained, my bishop said to the newly ordained priest, he said, now remember, when you're preaching, he said, in one hand, you've got the Bible, and in the other hand, you've got the local paper, the local journal. And he said, your job is to bring these two together and to make sense of the difficulties of the situations in which people are living. So I think it's very important if you can do that with a story. However, I think it's also important to avoid being too autobiographical, you know, because it's not about us, it's about the gospel and all of the scriptures talk about Christ. And that's the direction that we should take when looking at the readings. I mentioned before we began that I was going to read my homily because one of the messages I got was, can you do this as if you're really preaching? And I wondered what was behind that emphasis. Can you do it as if you're really preaching? Because preaching isn't entertaining. You know, sometimes with a homily, you get the impression that the liturgy stops, and then you have the homily, and then the liturgy begins again. But the homily is a part of the liturgy, and it should sound as if it's part of the liturgy. You know, so you shouldn't suddenly be going into high mode when you, you know, here we are, chaps, you know, get on with it, and, and start preaching in a different sort of key. It should have a resonance with what has gone before it, the readings, and what is coming after it, the Eucharist. So you have the word that has been given to and we listen to it, and then we speak the word which makes Christ present in the Eucharist. So it should have that balance. And also, if you remember, I mean, all the great preachers of Christianity, from earliest times, St. Augustine, St. John Chrysostom, the fathers of the church, we wouldn't have known what they were preaching about had they not written it down and had they not read it. I mean, St. Augustine, you know, when he was Bishop of Carthage, and this is a historical fact, 
not only the priests and the wealthy and the highly educated people came to him, but the fishermen's wives and the fishermen came because he was able to give to them something of the message of God, which he himself had previously imbibed. He'd made that his own through prayer. And the greatest preparation for any homily is the preacher preparing through extensive prayer, looking at these texts, making them his own. Preaching really is a way of life. It's a way of spirituality, really, for a priest in a parish. And it should be really one of the solid elements of his spiritual diet. As you were saying that, I was thinking back on my own preparation for this conversation with you. I went back and I read Evangelii Gaudium, Pope Francis' section, where he goes extensively into the homily. And in paragraph 138, he says exactly what you've just said. The homily cannot be a form of entertainment, but it does need to give life and meaning to the celebration. It should be brief, avoid taking the semblance of a speech or a lecture, because if it goes on too long, he says, its balance and its rhythm is out of kilter. Those aren't his words, out of kilter, but it's effectively where he's going. And then I found this really powerful. He says, Preaching should guide the assembly and the preacher to a life-changing communion with Christ in the Eucharist. This means that the words of the preacher must be measured so that the Lord, more than his minister, will be the Ah, center of attention. Exactly. Wonderful. And I think that is so important for us. I mean, certainly thinking about it myself, we can get so carried away in our own personality sometimes that that can become a distraction in the homily. So it's a wonderful reminder for us. There are two other things, too, which he said, you know, preaching is like a mother talking to her children. That's the next section I have highlighted, but go ahead. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. And the other thing he says, you know, is that you're being called not only to contemplate the Word of God in your prayer, but also contemplate the people to whom you are preaching. Uh, You can see, I think, in Evangelium Gaudium, at the beginning of the way that the Holy Father is working towards a synodal church. It's quite interesting, no? That very early on mm-hmm. in his ministry, he highlights those things, which he's clearly been thinking about for a very, very long time. Homilia in Greek means a conversation with. So actually, a homily means being in connection with certainly God, whom you're contemplating in the Word, but also with your people to whom you're preaching. So it has to be that motherly conversation, perhaps that fatherly conversation, which you've had with the Lord in your prayer as you've looked at the Scriptures, but also now you're having with the congregation over which you're presiding with the Eucharist. Cardinal, perhaps the thing that struck me most about your homily was when you connected right at the outset Lent, Ash Wednesday, to Easter, right? to the joy of the risen Christ, the Paschal mystery, the life, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus. Why is that important? Why is it important on Ash Wednesday to make that connection, to take us to Easter then? That's a really very interesting and important question. Perhaps I can frame it in this way. In 2008, Pope Benedict called a synod of bishops on the Word of God. And during the course of that synod, there was an overwhelming plea by the bishops universally 
to address the whole question of preaching. And he gave that responsibility to the then Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments, and they produced a directory, a homiletic directory. And I'd really like to highlight that because the overarching theme throughout every reading from Advent right through the Christmas period, the ordinary time of the year, Lent, the season of Easter, etc. The whole of the overarching theme is the Paschal mystery, the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ. And it is so important that every sermon in one way or another should be connected to what Christ gave us in this redemptive act, and which is part of our own journey every day. We all go through a Paschal mystery. Indeed, we're plunged into it at baptism. We're fed with it at the Eucharist, etc. And it's something which I would really recommend to every preacher to study very carefully because you will see most beautifully crafted in that document what the connection is between all the seasons underneath the redemptive act of Christ's paschal mystery. Every Mass is a celebration of Easter. Every Mass is a celebration of Easter. Every Sunday, particularly, is a celebration of that. Even the celebrations of the Feast of Our Lady is a celebration of the Feast of the Paschal Mystery. And if you read that homiletic directory, you'll discover something of a key that actually gives you the first note that you should be tapping on your lectionary piano and giving you that leitmotif that helps you to travel through the whole of the lectionary. I must confess, I didn't know about the homiletic directory. And of course, as I was preparing for this conversation with you, I came across it and I found it incredibly fruitful. I want to just read the first sentence, paragraph 57, the Sundays of Lent, because I think it sets it up for our preachers, perhaps, and hopefully encourages them to go and really use this as a resource for their own preaching. If the Paschal Tridium and the 50 days are the radiant center of the liturgical year, Lent is the season that prepares the minds and hearts of the Christian people for a worthy celebration of these days. There's something I want to recommend also, perhaps. Of course, please. I'd like very much to recommend to people the Liturgy and Life Study Bible by Turner and Martins from the liturgical press. And the reason why I recommend it is because the Roman Missal and the three volumes of the lectionary are, in one sense, one book in four sections. Mm. And in the Liturgy and Life Study Bible, you will find how most of the prayers in the Missal are from the sacred scriptures, because they will be identified in all the passages of the scriptures as you go through the Bible, and also how they connect with all the seasons of the year. It's a remarkable resource, and certainly something that every preacher should have close to him as he's preparing his homily. Thank you, Cardinal. We'll certainly put a link to that resource and to the homiletic directory and to Pope Francis' Evangelii Gaudium eh, in man. our show notes. And Desiderio Desideravi, if I might just... And Desiderio Desideravi. 
You say it, we'll do it. <laughs> Very good. Let's return to the question of synodality and how that's shaped, of course, the papacy of Pope Francis and his manifesto, if you will, for the way he wants to see the church move. But very specifically in this context, preaching. How do you think that synodality can influence preaching? And, you know, you were in the synod hall. What are you hearing from the rest of the world that can really inspire us to rethink and reimagine what we're doing in the homily? Well, I think the thing that synodality has taught all of us who certainly experienced it, not simply in October here in Rome, but also in all the processes that took place in parishes and in dioceses throughout the world, was listening to people. The way that the discussions took place was very interesting. Everyone was able to say what they wanted to say for four minutes on a particular subject, but nobody was allowed to interrupt them, nor at the end of what they said to contradict them or to add to it. But they moved on, one, two, three people giving a contribution, and then there was a pause for prayer, and then another three people talked. Pause for prayer, another three, pause for prayer, another three. And then on the second round, we weren't allowed to go back to what we'd initially said in the first round to, you know, sort of batter it home. But we were invited to say what we had heard in the first round from other people. And not only what we would heard from people, but what we'd heard in those very precious moments of prayer, which were interspersed with the various contributions by individuals. And it was quite remarkable, because I've been at many meetings where at the end of talking about a particular subject, you're trying to get a consensus, and it's been very, very difficult. What we found in the Synod was that the consensus came very, very easily because you were listening to people and people realized that they were being listened to. And I think that with preaching, there's a similar process also with regard to our approach to the Word of God as we're contemplating the Word of God, but taking on what Pope Francis says in Evangelium Gaudium, of contemplating the people, of listening to the people. What are their concerns? What are, they, what are they really struggling with? What are the things that they're seeking? What, what is it? Am I really listening as a pastor to what's going on in the parish? And not just the gossipy things, you know, the, 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 the dramas and all of those things, but what do my people really need? Mm. What are they thirsting for? What are they hungering for? Where, where can I find this? And I think that it's that attitude, which I believe to be deeply synodal, is something that will grow. I am absolutely sure of this. Earlier, you talked about holding the Bible and the newspaper, or as I say, you know, your app for the news uh, on your cell phone together when preparing the homily. We've heard that before on this show. It's a wonderful reminder. But since we've been producing this podcast, we've heard honest feedback from our listeners One of the things that we've been hearing is how should a preacher walk the line on the one hand between connecting to the Bible and connecting to the reality of our lives, and yet to steer clear of polarizing politics, right? And understanding the social injustice and the incredibly difficult, violent times we're living in. How do we as preachers 
preach to the reality without descending into, I, I don't know, name calling and polarization. Yes, I recall one parish priest in my diocese who had two deacons and we were coming up to the general election for parliament. And he said, oh, he said, I've had to call them in because two weeks ago, one deacon preached about the Conservative Party. And the following week, the other deacon preached about the Labour Party. And he said, come on, we're not about politics. And I think it's really important that we really do avoid politics. Of course, we can talk about the reality. What does, you know, Joel have to say to our leaders today? You know, where they're faced with shortage of food, shortage of water in Europe, a shortage of gas because of the war in Ukraine. What does the Lord have to say? People pick things up, you know. And I think people go to Mass on a Sunday, not really to be critical of the priest. They go because they're hungry and thirsty and because they really are wanting to be close to the Lord, they're wanting the Lord to be close to them, and they're waiting to be fed. I think it's very unlikely if you pray the Scriptures, if you really look at the Scriptures and you're living in the world, you're not living in an ivory tower somewhere. I think it's impossible not to connect what you receive from the Lord with what you're trying to live out in your daily life. And I think that is probably the secret. Maybe to close our episode, returning to the words of Pope Francis in The Joy of the Gospel, he says, the homily can actually be an intense and happy experience of the Spirit, a consoling encounter with God's Word, a constant source of renewal and growth. When I read that, you know, it's certainly what preaching is for me, and it's been one of the greatest joys of my life, <laughs> also one of the most frightening and vulnerable experiences. But I wonder... As the prefect for the dicastery for divine worship, but also, and perhaps more especially, as that parish priest many, many years ago, and as the priest that you are forever, what is the one thing that you'd like to say to every preacher in the world if you could get to them? I would say really take preaching, take your homily very, very seriously. And don't be the person who looks on Saturday night to see what he has to say on Sunday morning. But start very early in the week to look at the readings and to pray them and to really pray them, to go through them time and time again. Let them speak. Let the Word of God speak. And I think that's the heart of being a good preacher. I think it's the heart of knowing what is there and also realizing what the people in front of you need encouragement about. I love that. Preaching is when the heart of the Word of God speaks. Cardinal Roach, this was a singular pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Well, a great pleasure. And thank you for what you're doing, because it will feed a lot of people, a lot of priests, maybe a lot of bishops, who knows? <laughs> maybe even a few cardinals. <laughs> and maybe a few cardinals. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for Cardinal Roach's homily in our show notes. 
This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Frank Tucson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. This episode was recorded in part at the Jesuit headquarters in Rome with production assistance from Vivian Richards. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you'd like to recommend for the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Just click the link in the show notes. You can follow me on X at RickDSSJ. Also, are you looking for a little something extra this Lent? American Media can deliver new scripture reflections into your inbox every day. If you're already a subscriber, just look in your inbox. Otherwise, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. Visit the link in the show notes. And if you have some time, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or any other of your favorite podcast apps. For America Media, I'm Ricardo De Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.